just going to give it 30 seconds before we start just to make sure everyone is in the room, but welcome in. Awesome. Well, welcome to Myosh webinars. My name is Maddie and I'm a senior consultant for Myosh. Today we are hosting the webinar Thriving Leadership, Building High-Performing Managers and Leaders presented by Greg Stark. Greg is the founder and director of Better Being. His background in optimizing elite athlete performance merges competitive drive with exercise science, making him the go-to coach for busy executives looking to achieve balance and well-being. As a bit of housekeeping before we start today's presentation, this session is being recorded if you would like to request a copy after the fact. And if you have any questions during, please feel free to pop them in the Q&A section at the bottom of your screen and we'll open the floor for questions um, at the end. I also believe during there'll be some interaction as well. Thank you. Over to you, Greg. Hey, Maddie, good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. Uh, I thought we'd start off today with a bit of an activity. I'll get you to open up a fresh web browser or pull out your phone and open up a fresh browser in there. Uh, go into Google and in the search bar, I want you to start to type the words Y, M, I, so. Just type the sentence Y, M, I, so. Give you a few minutes to open up that web browser or to pull out your phone. Try not to get distracted by emails or any other uh information that might be out there but i'll get you to type in why am i so for some of you the suggested section below that might be saying why am i so hungry don't worry lunch is straight after this so hold out for the next half an hour 45 minutes and hopefully grab something to eat then for some of you it might be saying why am i so gassy thankfully we're online so uh hopefully not in any confined spaces there but I imagine for most of you, the top of that list is why am I so tired? Because right now, that is one of the most searched terms in the world. People are fatigued and exhausted. And we know that mental health is at a bit of a tipping point. We know there's a lot of factors feeding into that. There's, there's financial pressures and insecurities, global instability, a change in work environment where there's this hybrid workplace, which you know, leads to things like decreased social connection, reduced physical activity and longer working hours. But it is quite a challenging environment at the moment. And as human resource or safety professionals tuning in today, I'm sure that there is many challenges that you're facing. And the purpose of what we're going to be looking at today is, more importantly, how can we support those senior leaders in your team and help to create a culture of high performance by mitigating against risk and helping people come to work and enjoy work and still have plenty left for life. As I mentioned, I'm Greg Stark, founder and director of Better Being. Some of you might have tuned in before, so it would be great to, to reconnect with you uh, today. Uh, but I guess to give you a bit of a background, I started my career working with elite athletes in a high-performance environment. I then brought these same principles of high-performance into that corporate world, sharing it with different executives over a number of years. 
With those executives then experiencing the benefits of changing their health and well-being, they wanted that same thing for their teams. So then we started going in and working with their teams, but we soon realised that a lot of the people that were engaging in these activities were the ones that were doing all the right things already. The ones we needed to help the most were the ones that were still stuck at their desk, not sleeping well, not eating well, not finding time to get out and move, not managing with stress. So at that point, probably close to 10, 15 years ago now, uh, we really set out and wanted to help those people in creating a happier and healthier work and life. So we really assessed our different ways that we could communicate to these people and how do we actually create meaningful behaviour change and not just tick that wellbeing box and say, yes, our company does wellbeing, but how do we support people and help people in changing those healthy behaviours so that not only can they leave work safely, but also come to work and enjoy coming to work and be really fully engaged in the workplace because we do spend a lot of time in the workplace. As many mentioned, I'd love to keep today as interactive as possible and really understand, I guess, what is it that's driving you to, to attend today? What do you want to get out today? And what I would love for you to do for me right now is to jump into the comments section and share with me what is the greatest challenge that you're facing when it comes to helping people and supporting people with their well-being. What is the number one challenge or greatest challenge that you have in supporting your people with their well-being? Jump into the comments section and I'll throw over to Maddie in a second and she can share with me some of your thoughts and challenges. I would love to understand those so I can really talk to those for you today. While those are coming through, just want to discuss a little bit more about workplace well-being and I guess where we sit in and, and see ourselves in supporting your people. So we know within a workplace environment, there's sort of three key levers or, or components to workplace well-being. But the first part there is being policy. So again, these are external and, and internal rules and regulations to keep people safe at work. Obviously, everyone's very aware of psychosocial risks and, and those aspects coming into play now. How do we report and manage different hazards and incidents? We then have our environment, and this is both the physical environment, the online environment, and the social environment. And again, how do those things all interact and how do we keep those places not only safe, but help to promote positive health behaviours? Those two factors we deem to be work design factors. We don't work specifically in those, those aspects of wellbeing. I've got some great partners that we work alongside. But where we really specialise in is in the behaviours of your employees, in those human factors, because we know that if we can really influence those human factors, we can create meaningful long-term change. And the way that we categorise those behaviours is we categorise them into what we call our four pillars of performance, being movement, mindset, nutrition, and recovery. That if we get those things working for your people, we not only reduce risk, but we promote performance. Maddie, what do we have coming through in questions and comments? Yes, just before um, I ask those, I just want to reiterate that we're using the, the Q&A function uh, as chat is disabled, but we've had a few come in. Um, first of which is a lot of people know what they need to do, but don't do it. The person needs to want to do it for themselves. Do you have any comments on that one? Yeah, there's a disconnect between need and action. Yeah, and again, we're going to speak a lot to that today. Again, that uh, a lot of the time people know they need to be doing these things. And I guess as a work environment, how can we support people 
in feeling like they can take the time to look after themselves? And it's really it's a it's a great question and a great challenge. Um, and hopefully we can speak to some of that today in terms of ways that, that we can do that and, and that you can do that internally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was lack of support from senior leadership or support for tick box exercises and apps. Yeah. Lack of support is always an interesting one. I think at the moment a lot of companies want to be seen to do these things. And, again, if you tune into the last webinar we did, we spoke about how 91% of people looking at jobs look at what a company's well-being um, supports are and how, how do they implement well-being within their, their organisations. So from an employee perspective, it is really, really important. Um, and, again, from the leadership perspective, they're acknowledging that, that these things are important, but again, is how do we create action? How do we create meaningful action so that we can get those long-term behavioural changes? And again, hopefully we'll speak to some of that today as well in terms of how do we get those senior leaders on board? Yeah. There's a few that have this sort of the same overarching comment, which is a major organisational change with poor communication or consultation, too much uncertainty, and with that comes change management um, and fatigue as well. Yeah. Um, so in terms of how to, so when when we change things within the workplace, we're saying that it has a fatigue effect on the people within the workplace. Essentially, is that constantly changing goalposts? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and look, and and people typically don't like change. Um, and we know that one of the things, the best things that we can do to support people in dealing with those changes is, is supporting their, their well-being. Um, you know, obviously in a lot of different organisations when there's mass redundancies or sections of the workforce that are removed, it then becomes a challenge because there's an increased workload for everyone else to take up. Um, and then, you know, there's sometimes the mentality of, well, if we've made all these people redundant, we can't be seen to be spending so all of a sudden the people that are left have a whole lot of more work and a whole lot less support when it comes to their well-being. So one of the best things that we can do in those environments where there's lots of change is to really invest and really look after the people that are there and support them in managing those things. And so along these lines as well, and again, why this slide is really, really important, is that we can't just focus on the human factors and say that all these things is the responsibility of the employees and not the employer. It's really important that we, we prioritise both, that we give the employees all the tools and education and space to look after their own wellbeing and be self-sufficient in that way. But we're also creating an environment within the workplace, identifying those hazards so that we can manage, again, manage workloads, manage stress, uh, manage those social environments and interactions um, from a work design perspective to create that ultimate workplace well-being. So, again, we come across organisations that focus on one or the other. It doesn't work. We need to be focusing on that holistic aspect of that, that well-being uh, environment within the workplace. But thank you for sending those through. Hopefully today we'll give you a bit more, um, I guess, understanding and, and uh, some tools in terms of how we can address some of those common issues. So we know right now 
that 84% of employees are saying that improving their physical, mental and uh, emotional health is a top priority for the year, 84%. It is more important to people to focus on their well-being right now than it is in advancing their careers. Only 74% want to advance their careers this year. More people are interested in improving their well-being. And research shows that the number one factor influencing your employees' mental well-being and their overall well-being is their manager. They're more influential on a person's well-being than a doctor, therapist, or their partner. People spend a lot of time at work, and it is the number one factor influencing their well-being. And the senior leaders and managers, as you spoke about before, are acknowledging that this is important. 96% of managers agree that they should be taking responsibility for their employees' well-being. However, only 54% of them actively check in with their employees. So senior managers and leaders know that this is important, but only half of them are acting on it. Why is that disconnect occurring here in between that senior managers and the rest of the employees within the organisation? So research shows it's because your senior leaders are exhausted themselves. That eight in 10 senior leaders report feeling exhausted. And there's many reasons for this. High work volumes, as we again, we touched on earlier, stressful jobs, long work hours. But one of the biggest things is that need to support others. They're mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. And so it becomes really hard to then be that support person, that compassionate person to look and support after everyone else. And bearing in mind that eight out of 10 senior leaders are exhausted as safety professionals. What is the risk factors there in terms of the psychological and physical risks of harm? If these senior leaders are not only uh, at harm of psychological burnout, but also physical harm, and we know that things like sleep and exhaustion and, and burnout can all lead uh, to increased risk of injury and accidents in the workplace. So again, this is a really concerning stat for me in terms of the senior leaders are completely exhausted, but yet we rely on them to support everyone else. Even more concerning than that is that of that eight in 10 leaders that are exhausted, 75% of these leaders are contemplating leaving their role in the next 12 months due to that exhaustion. So if you have to take a moment now to think, think that if you lost six out of 10 leaders in your business in the next 12 months, what would that do to your business? So they're pretty hard-hitting facts, these. Now, there's lots that we can do. Obviously, a lot of those work design factors, completing psychosocial risk assessment, managing work volumes, trying to remove some of the stigma around uh, prioritising mental health, looking at the peer relationships between um, colleagues and particularly that senior leadership level, uh, reporting regularly on wellbeing metrics within the organisation. are some really great strategies. But we believe that the best strategy that we can do is personal support, is to help those senior leaders engage in their own well-being. Because if those individuals start to prioritise their own well-being, they will be there and have the energy and capacity to support others. 
And people within the business can't be what they can't see. So if they don't see those senior leaders looking after their health and prioritising their health, they can't do that themselves. So we need those senior leaders to be that example. And again, the stats show that out of those senior leaders, only four in 10 make time for their well-being. That 63% of them acknowledge that there's importance to well-being but struggle to find the time. So if we're able to incorporate well-being practices within the work environment for leaders and be really conscious of not to take up so much time because it takes and, and, and detracts from their, their actual work that they have to do, but so that they can feel supported, that is how we can create really meaningful long-term change. We need to integrate it into work practices and we need to be able to support the leader at a personal level. I think one of the big mistakes that a lot of organisations make is let's run training to educate these senior leaders on how they can support people within their business. So again, it, it shifts the focus and the blame to the senior leaders and asks them to do more and becomes this compliance piece for the organisation. But if actually we implement programs that support and help that leader to take the time to prioritise their wellbeing, everything else falls into place by there because if they believe it and they're advocating it and doing it themselves, they're going to be wanting that for their team. And I think the other thing that's really important to touch on at this point as well is that we've got to think about things beyond just the absence of disease. I've had a few conversations lately with organisations saying we're not getting any workers' compensation claims or cases. It's not being flagged as an issue. These statistics say that even if it's not an issue now, it will be in the very short term. So we need to think of health as that complete state of physical, mental and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. That is as the World Health Organisation defined well-being. And as I spoke about in my last uh, presentation, that if we think about things about just uh, from a safety perspective of mitigating risk, you get a, a return on investment of about $2.21. If we focus on things about how do we promote performance and encourage high performance, we get a return on investment of $5.81 on those initiatives because there's far more reaching uh, and engaging ways to support your employees and the benefit that it brings to the organisation other than just mitigate against risk. So this is a big part of why we've created our high performance program over the last few years. I would love to hear from you now in the comments section is how do you, or sorry, another comment section in the Q&A section, I should say, how do you define high performance as an individual or as a team? What, what are some of the ways that you categorize high performance? What does that look like to you? Or even if you want to, get a bit more creative and think outside of the box. Give me some examples of what a high-performance team looks like across different environments. I'd love to hear from you in that, that Q&A uh, section as to what high-performance means to you. While those answers coming through, uh, talk about the high-performance program. We had a client come to us uh, early last year. When we met with them, uh, they briefed us about a sales team of theirs who were feeling the pressure to hit targets under high amounts of pressure. They were a relatively new team that didn't really know each other, so there's a bit of disconnection there. They wanted to, to incre increase that social connection, and it was coming up to the end of financial year, so they were very much on the verge of that burnout because it was a, a, an extremely busy time of year for them. And they, they wanted to have a program that could help them 
deal with that psychological strain, but didn't necessarily add to that workload and take time away from the work that they needed to be doing. And they wanted a program that could bring the team together and improve cohesion and work towards that common goal of high performance. And that's why we propose that they run the high performance program, which I'll take you through in just a moment. Uh, and that, that uh, program itself has actually won the Australian Workplace Health and Safety Culture, uh, Health and Safety Awards for Leadership and Culture as well. Maddie, what have we got coming through in terms of how people define high performance? Um, do you want me to just run through a bunch or do you want to? Yeah, give me, give me some of the, the themes, trends, sure. definitions. Absolutely. So we have high performance to me looks like being 1% better than the day before on a consistent basis, uh, sustainable and cohesive performance, engaged and interactive, efficient and eager to get stuff done, connected and collaborative, which is a really cool one. Thriving, yeah. meeting goals successfully, learning continuously, rewarded for effort and targets met at a high quality standard. Um, they are resilient, feel safe to challenge standards or each other regardless of the role, which is also a really nice collaborative statement as well. Uh, meeting deadlines, the team is effective and output is a world-class standard. Um, meeting goals, bringing up the people around you with positivity and attendance, happy, well-adjusted, healthy, and competence at all levels of the organisation. So some really lovely answers for that one there. <laughs> they were great answers. I couldn't keep up with it, but they are all fantastic <laughs> answers. They're, and they're, they're all really positive. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're talking about high performance, none of that is about how do we not get sick, how do we not get injured, but actually, how do we perform better? How do we thrive? I love that word thrive. It's up there in terms of how do we help people feel great at work to do their best work? And what are the fundamental principles in achieving that high performance as a group and, and as individuals? Uh, so, again, as I explained, my background is all in, in high performance from a sporting context. And those fundamental principles of what we do with athletes there translate across into most workplaces in terms of how do we achieve high performance. So the way that we define high performance is that when we look at it at an individual level, it's all about a person's individual capabilities being amplified by their behaviours determines their performance. So capabilities is a lot more about those innate characteristics that we have you know, if you want to talk about it being a sort of genetic baseline that, again, some people, um, you know, are more favourable skill sets to certain things. You know, if we're talking about athletes, some can run faster, some are stronger, um, you know, some can run for a long time, some have great hand-eye coordination. If we look at it from a corporate perspective, you know, some people are really good problem solvers, some people are really good people managers, some people are very good in the practical applications of, of concepts as well. So people have certain capabilities. But what really determines their performance is their behaviours. Those capabilities account for about 30% of performance across most contexts. And if we really looked at those behaviours and, and do the things that we know we should be doing, we can really maximise performance and start to look to create these high-performing teams. And so when we look at those behaviours, it's those same four behaviours that I mentioned before in terms of those pillars of performance. Mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery. So mindset, we're looking at things about your ability to deal with stress, the quality of your relationships, 
uh, your gratitude and happiness. How do those things play into your life on a regular basis? Movement talks for itself. Again, uh, those in more physical roles have different movement demands compared to those that are sat at their desk all day long. So again, bearing those things in mind. Nutrition, uh, again, the effect nutrition has not only on your physical, but also your mental performance. We know that there's a lot of information coming out around that. And then recovery. So what we're talking about recovery, we're talking a lot about sleep and the, the challenges when it comes to sleep, but a lot of that disconnect from work so that people can feel like they're completely at work when they need to be at work and they can be completely at home in, in their life and, and immersed in that and that the two aren't overtaking each other, um, that they're feeling like they're getting the most out of both. So if we can really focus in on those behaviours and support people in, in implementing those behaviours, we will start to get high performance in, in that individual. If we then look at it from a team perspective, there's no point having a team of champions where you've got all these high-performing individuals going in lots of different directions. You want to be a champion team. And I think a lot of the concepts that you spoke about in your answers there was very much about how do we create high-performing teams. So it's about working towards common goals. It's about how do we, um, what are some of the other ones we have here? How do we stay connected? How do we feel safe? How do we increase resilience? How do we get that 1% better? How do we do it from a really sustainable perspective? And if we look at that, there's three core elements in creating these high-performing teams. The first one is communication. So not only are expectation and role definitions really important in that communication, but also feedback. How do people respond to the feedback? Do they seek out feedback? How do they deliver feedback? So communication is key when we look at high-performing teams. Cohesion. Cohesion is all about people moving in the same direction. Is everyone really clear about what is expected of them and what their contribution towards that common goal is? And connection. As a group, is there a deep sense of purpose as to why we're doing this? Is there a sense of connection uh, to each other in doing this? You know, are we a compassionate team in terms of how we work together? So we can create these environments. We create those high-performing teams. And this is where our high-performance program can help to feed into that because when we've got a group of people working towards a common goal around something that's important to them in terms of their health, if you want people to feel valued, again, that came up in high-performance, we want people to feel valued, we help support them with their health and well-being. So what does that look like in a program that can be delivered or a strategy that can be delivered? Again, I've spoken before that when we design our programs are better being. We refer to the PERMA Plus model. Uh, the PERMA Plus model is designed by Martin Seligman. It is proven when it comes to how do we create that, that change between knowing we need to do things and then creating the action. That we need to be able to, to do it in a way where people want to take control of their well-being themselves and it's not thrust upon them, but they want to positively engage in it themselves. So when we look at the PERMA Plus model, there's five core elements that any program should have. And so, again, if you're designing your own program to help support senior managers, I recommend looking into the PERMA Plus model and thinking about how can I create a program or an experience for these senior managers that's going to help in that change to improve well-being. And ultimately, we know that that will filter down and support everyone else within that organisation. 
So the first component there is positive emotion. So again, as I mentioned, that all those things that you spoke about was towards the positive. How do we engage more people? And it's all about that we will capture the most amount of people if we engage them from a positive perspective rather than a negative perspective. So if we run a high performance program, that's going to appeal to a lot more people compared to how do we avoid dying from too much stress and working long hours program. Uh, again, it, it, it's very much geared towards the, the positive, but the principles of improving both outcomes are the same. But to engage people in the first place, we need to come from a positive perspective. If we look at something like um, the app Calm, some of you might be familiar with it. It's a meditation app that people can use. When they looked at their marketing campaigns, something interesting that they found is that the, the campaigns that were geared towards the positive aspects of mental health in terms of that performance and cognitive performance aspect far outweigh and beat the campaigns that were around managing clinical conditions. So again, when they spoke about stress and depression and anxiety, those campaigns didn't engage people as well as the, the performance campaigns around having energy, vitality, thriving. So again, by gearing things in that, that positive emotion, we're going to get a lot more engagement straight off. Then around that engagement piece as well, when, when I see companies run a lot of these programs, they often make it an opt-in program. And when you make it an opt-in program, all you really do is you attract the people that are already doing the right things. They are the people that are already engaged and valuing their well-being. They're not these people where there's a disconnect between knowing they should do something and not being able to do it. So something that's really important when we're running these programs or the, these education sessions is that it is an opt-out rather than an opt-in, that we're doing everything as a group together. And what we see when we run these 12-week programs, so the high-performance program, I should probably explain to you a little bit more in the way that we run it. It's a 12-week program. Everyone gets a coach over the course of 12 weeks. We run different education components throughout, uh, and we use something called our wellbeing index that I'll explain in a little bit. But it's about everyone working towards a, a common goal. So when everyone's all in on the program, we know that there's always going to be those people at the start that are a bit sceptical about things. And often you would expect that those people will be the ones that drop out first. But what we find is that when it's an opt-out, those people, once they immerse themselves into this program, they are the ones that see it through more than anyone and they're the ones that get the most out of it. Because once they start to experience these things and see the benefit and can overcome those challenges of time, they start to prioritise wellbeing. So we run a lot of workshops that help to, to engage that that maximise that engagement piece for people as well um, and help them to mentally prepare themselves to go, go into it. And the next key component is relationships. So it's really important to have strong peer-to-peer -peer relationships, so that's why we encourage everyone to go through it together rather than individuals. But in this particular program, each individual is allocated their own um, sports and exercise scientist coach to take them through each week, or sorry, each fortnight they catch up and work on whatever component of health and wellbeing they're wanting to work on. Whether that's nutrition, sleep, stress management, uh, exercise, they support them in, in making those changes and giving them those resources and holding them accountable to making those changes over the course of the program. The program is not about saying everyone has to do XYZ behaviours, but actually allowing that individual the opportunity to self-reflect and think about their own health and well-being 
and create their own changes as to what they want to implement. And more importantly, to have someone in their corner and support them along the way. And at times, often through these programs, we have people flagging that they need more critical care. And so we're always really proactive in making sure that people are making use of EAP providers um, and getting the, the critical support they need at a point that they need them as well. The next part is meaning. So it's really important with programs that we're not just ticking that box, that there is some meaning behind what we're trying to do, that this isn't just another work experience or a, 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 an activity that you're doing for work compliance piece, but it's actually something that's giving meaning to that individual and, and that team and working to, together towards that common goal beyond just yourself. So we aggregate all the data at the start of the program in terms of where people's well-being is at, and then as a group, where we want to move that to as well. So we get that peer-to-peer -peer connection and driving towards a common goal. And then lastly is that accomplishment piece, that we know that people are driven by the desire to get better and better at something, and we can't manage what we don't measure. So we designed our wellbeing index that helps people to not only just quantify what their wellbeing is, but help them to identify which aspects of wellbeing they might need to focus in on more, whether it's that mindset piece, whether it's that recovery piece, that nutrition or movement piece. So again, having something measurable is a really important part of any program. Um, and again, it's got to be meaningful as well. So there's some of the key components, things to think about if you're designing your own wellbeing program and trying to support the leaders in changing their own health and wellbeing. And I guess what we saw in this client by implementing this program over the course of 12 weeks, we saw changes at an individual level, at a team level, and at an organisational level. So that's, this is an individual's response over the course of the 12 weeks. Uh, they went from 75% on the wellbeing index to 89%. Again, this person was probably quite engaged beforehand. Typically, we see most people start in the 60s, and it's about getting up over the 80s in that wellbeing index score. But more importantly, it's about those things that, that are not easily measured in terms of, you know, those testimonials that we get back from people that have completed this program. And again, the stuff that's really important is that people feel as though they're happier now than what they were when they began. And we've run programs for companies where we've had people in tears at the end of the program saying that they're forever indebted to the company because it's completely transformed and changed their whole entire life, not just what they do at work, but they're a better partner, a better father, um, a better friend because of, of going through these changes. At a team level, managers often report to us that the conversations around wellbeing have become a nor more normal practice in their team meetings and in their one-to-ones. That because we've shared the light on wellbeing for this period of 12 weeks, people start to have those conversations. Like I said at the start, managers know that well-being is important, 96% of them say it's important, only 50% of them are having these conversations. By running these sort of programs, it starts to ingrain it in the culture and the practices of those teams to check in with each other um, and, and have everyone talking in the same language. And then the big one is about often how do we get funding for these programs? How do we show that there's a, a return on investment? We can show all these stats. We can say this is great for the individual. Look at how happy they are uh, because they've changed those things. But what was really uh, interesting about this particular program that we ran, that this was only one sales team amongst the whole business. A group of 30 people went through this program amongst the whole uh, business. In that particular quarter that we ran 
the high performance program, there was a 20% increase in the wellbeing index score. Coincidence or not, they were the only team in the entire business for that quarter that went up by 30% in their sales performance. It's a pretty decent return on investment, if you ask me. The great thing about sales is we can determine a pretty good return on investment. Now, I'm really, I'm really sick about these things. I would love to be able to guarantee every business, get us in and, and work with your sales team and uh, you'll get 30% more sales. There's always a lot of factors that play into that. But again, I think that this really supports the concept that if we support people in their well-being and make them feel valued, there is going to be an increase in productivity, engagement, retention, decrease in those workers of compensation cases, and people are going to start to feel valued and, and limit some of those risk factors that we know that are bubbling under the surface right now. So this led to that organisation continuing to implement this program across their business. We've worked all over the country with them, uh, with different groups at different times, running it every quarter, seeing the same results every time that we've done that. That's enough of me talking about the great results that we've got. I would love to hear from you now in terms of your thoughts about uh, addressing some of these challenges on senior leaders. What's the biggest thing that you've taken from today and some of the information that I've given you? Uh, is there anything that you would like further clarification on? Jump in the Q&A section and share that with me as we wrap up today. Uh, as those are coming through, uh, just to let you know, uh, if you're wanting to have uh, some more resources about some of these programs and the science behind um, different aspects such as mental health in the workplace or happiness in the workplace, uh, we're soon to release one around the psychosocial performance in the workplace. Uh, scan that QR code um, or you can email info at betterbeing and we can organise those, uh, sorry, info at betterbeing.com.au and we can organise those resources to be sent out to you. Uh, those downloads are free and can be a great starting point if you're looking at different ways you can implement programs. Maddie, what do we have coming through in the Q&A section? Yes, um, we had a question on the well-being index. They just don't understand how you measure those things. Like, is it a questionnaire? How do you measure things like sleep and nutrition? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way that we measure those things, it is a subjective questionnaire, 20 questions across those different pillars. Um, what we focus on compared to other questionnaires, some questionnaires will focus on outcomes. How happy are you? How engaged do you feel? Um you know, how stressed do you feel? When we ask those sort of questions, it's very much a, a person's perception of things. The way that we look at it is we focus in on those behaviours. We look at the behaviours that we know that contribute to the outcomes, that if we get people engaged in behaviours, the outcomes follow. So, again, the Wellbeing Index is designed for people to go online to answer those questions it gives value to the organisation by quantifying wellbeing and identifying the areas that you might need to work on as an organisation. But more importantly, it's not just a survey where the employee isn't getting any value. It gives value to them because it helps them to understand their own wellbeing and to look at things that they might need to be doing to improve on and giving them resources and follow-up support. So it's really important when we're doing things, it's not just about what information can you give me as the employer but actually how can I give value to you so that you then feel more confident and comfortable in giving me as much information as I need. We had another question about, would you please talk more about the opt-in versus opt-out element you were talking about in regarding to the uh, PermaPlus program? Yeah, so again, when, when we 
run programs, and we've done this over a number of years, that when we run programs where we say anyone interested in running, you know, going in this high-performance program, we attract all the people that are doing the right things already. Very rarely do we get people that are feeling stressed, overwhelmed, burnt out, go, oh, you know what, this is exactly what I need. We know that people need this. So it's really important that we do it in group, in teams, where everyone is in, so that the whole team, the manager, the senior leader, the executive, say, yep, as a group, we're doing this, this program. And again, it's different to, you know, if we do a resilience training workshop, where we say to people, come in and do this resilience training workshop for our leaders, where you can support other people. This opt-in program is about how can we support you? How can we help you as an individual feel better at work? Knowing that if we get you feeling better at work, you are going to be able to be in a better position to support other people. You're going to have more energy, mental capacity. So we need to make sure that it's an opt-out so that if people choose not to go through and see their coach or attend these education sessions, you know, it's, it's, it's on them. But when everyone's doing it, you drag everyone in. Everyone, everyone comes along for that journey and realizes that they actually do have the time and they do have that capacity. That if people feel like they can't take five minutes for well-being, they probably need to be taking 30 minutes. That those people that are most time constrained are the ones that need it the most. Awesome. And last question before we wrap up. How do you get senior officers and managers to understand the need for improvement in their health and well-being and the effect of their attitudes and behaviours that have on individuals and teams? Yeah, I think, again, you lead by example. Again, it sounds very straightforward. And that people often don't value these things until they experience it themselves. That once you experience these things, you start to value it. So once you... You don't feel how bad you are until you start to feel good and you go, oh, I can't believe I felt that way for so long. So if we can get people to experience better well-being, they're going to be more likely to keep it going and not want to lose it. And then once they've got that better well-being, they're going to want to share that with other people. They're going to want to have other people also share that so that they become more engaged about how are other people feeling? How can I better support those people to, to get out of this disconnect between knowing what they need to do and being able to do it? So again, it has to start with those senior leaders that unless they are on board with it themselves and it doesn't work. And again, we've had organisations where they're like, oh, you know, it's not for me, but it's for everyone else. We need to have those senior leaders on board exhibiting those behaviours because people will follow what you do, not what you say. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, thank you so much, Greg, for your presentation today. If anybody in the audience currently has any more questions for Greg or is interested in their um, program that he was just speaking about, please use the information on the screen or scan the QR code with your phone. Otherwise, if you're registered as an attendee today, you'll be receiving a recording um, shortly after it's published. Um, but any other closing words at all from you, Greg? No, thank you for having me again today. You know, these changes aren't easy. Um, there are challenges there, but again, I think if we look a lot at the statistics that are out there and the things that are coming through, that we want to make sure that we're on the front foot and ahead of the curve. Um, starting these conversations, supporting the senior leadership team can have a huge impact throughout your whole business. So again, if we can support you and help you in any of that, please reach out. Uh, happy to give you any resources that you need in order to start those conversations and direct you in maybe in some of the research that, that we're seeing. Happy to provide those for you as well. But thank you for taking time out of your day and attending and all the best.
Awesome. Thank you for guys. Thanks, for See you next time. Bye everybody.